0: Turn with me in your Bibles to the epistle of Jude. Judah in Hebrew, Judas in the Greek. Most scholars agree that this is the Jude who was one of the four half-brothers of Christ. He is most likely writing just before the siege of Jerusalem in the year or two before this. The Romans are pressing in, and times are challenging for Christians. It's a time of terrible duress for Jews and Christians alike. The pressure of culture against the church was heavy, and many were wavering in their faith. Jude writes directly and bluntly to help shore up an anxious and perhaps wavering church. Jude is a message for the church living in challenging days. Here as I read God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word, Jude 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So it is the church in challenging days. But here's the thing. The Christian church has always lived in challenging days. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in a challenging time for sure. And while challenging, we recognize that there, these times are not unique for the people of God. Give us aid by your word and spirit to trust you more and rely on you more heavily. Please prepare us for what you call us to do. Please help us to understand what we are reading here in Jude, so that it may be applied to our minds and our actions. Sanctify us by your truth, for your word is truth pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Samuel Stone famously wrote, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one over all the earth, Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses partakes one holy food. And to one hope she presses with every grace endued. And then in the third verse. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are keeping. Their cry goes up how long? And soon the night of weeping. Shall be the morn of song. It's true to say that the Christian church has always lived in challenging days. Some branches of the church in more challenging places, but the times for Christians are always challenging in some way. The experience for the vast majority of people who have identified with Jesus Christ has been a challenging one. Now, this is not to say that God hasn't granted the church many periods of smooth, expansive, evangelistic ministry and impact. This is not to say that God has not used Christians in various times and places to bring an impact on society at large. This is to say, however, most of the time, there is a steep payment to be made culturally for claiming Christ as Lord. According to the latest Pew Research, 74% of the world's population live in a country where social hostilities involving religion are high. 64% live where the government restricts religion. Pressure against Christians practicing their faith. That's the norm for most Christians living across the last 2,000 years. Pressure, if not oppression. As Christians in America, we may soon be facing more challenging days than most of us have previously experienced. So we come to this passage and to the Word of God on the whole and ask how might the Christian church remain faithful to Christ and His commission when living in such challenging times. This is the question of the hour and we pose it to this fitting text. How might Christians be obedient to God's mission when opposition mounts? The short passage before us can be summarized this way. What shall we do in challenging days? First, we have to look out. We have to be aware, be wise, be discerning. We have to look out. Secondly, we have to build up. We have to be strengthened. We have to grow. We must get deeper and stronger. Finally, we have to reach out. We have to look for those in duress, see those who are sinking, and have mercy. And show compassion to help them, to lift them up with the gospel, with Christ Himself. Let's look at the passage and see how this unfolds. Verse 17, Jude begins, but at least in this portion, a new section of the book. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, Recall what warnings we received from the apostles. Look out, be aware. Be careful to discern what's happening in the church. If it's challenging out there, it will eventually press in here, and we have to recognize that's always how it works, and be aware and look out for this. Be wise and realistic about what will come into the church, especially when living in such challenging times. Heed the warnings about opposition. It says again, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, remember those. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers. He's now summarizing their teaching. In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So they won't be pursuing God's glory, but rather that which pleases themselves. And this is the way of the world, and this is the way we'll see inroads made to the church. Verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. So look out, that's the first Admonition we draw from this passage. And notice it says, In the last time there will be scoffers. Now, of course, last time, last days, last hour. This is the epoch of time ever since Jesus ascended and sent his Spirit. Since Pentecost, you might say. For the recipients of this letter initially, uh, they could probably see no further than the impending doom that was coming in 70 AD. Things were reaching a climax for sure pressures were on. This is why people were wavering in their faith. People were leaving the faith. The pressure was coming. Rome was upon them. The Jews didn't like them. They had nowhere to go. The pressure was coming. And so for them, they see it imminently, these last days. For us, we are in the last days. We have been since Christ ascended. Jude is describing the battle that will be fought until Christ returns. This is what makes it so timeless, the message before us. The predictions of the apostles in the era of the New Testament apply to every generation, including ours. You must remember, verse 17, beloved, the prediction of the apostle, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should look out for what the apostles predicted. We should look out for the enemies of God, wolves, if you will. We should look out for these things inside the church first, pressure from the outside will make its way in. When times are challenging outside the church, expect them to become challenging inside. Remember the predictions of the apostles. Look out. How about this warning from Paul to the church at Ephesus that he loves so much? As he's leaving Ephesus in the midst of his third missionary journey, he says to the elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Look out. Look out. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This is one of the predictions of the apostles. When he's writing to Timothy later, Who's ministering in Ephesus, he says to Timothy, this young pastor, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Look out, Timothy. Later, in his second letter to Timothy, understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, challenging times. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And listen close to what he says to Timothy, it's important for our day especially. Having the appearance of godliness looks religious, looks well-meaning, looks like it's out for the benefit of the church. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. We've been seeing a lot of this in the modern church. There is a movement like this in every generation, but I've noticed it even in circles that I am aware of. It promotes the idea that identifying with some prominent way that you are struggling with sin becomes who you are in its couched in religious honest let's have an honest talk language all too often becomes a way of concession to the sin and denies the Lord's power having the appearance of godliness we're having this talk in church but denying its power can't be changed We have to look out for this way of thinking. We have to recognize the apostles' predictions warn us of this. In the last days there will come times of difficulty. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. Now these are some of the predictions of the apostle Paul, but Jude says the predictions of the apostles, plural, Paul wasn't the only apostle with such warnings. Here's the apostle John, for instance, in his first letter. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. The apostles' predictions. They give us what we have to look out for. But it's Peter also. Peter writing in his second epistle, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Living in challenging times means we must be on the lookout for infiltrations as predicted and warned about from the apostles or by the apostles. This will be a feature of the last times in which we are living. Jude, verse 18, once again. There will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. I want you to notice that, by the way, because oftentimes reform people are given the criticism, and we earn it sometimes, that we're divisive because we're so particular about our doctrine. Uh, but notice what the passage does say. Um, it's not those people who will be divisive up front. It is these people, those who are trying to bring in scoffing ideas, looking at what the church has always taught and scoffing, saying it doesn't fit the time. Um, we have a, a nuanced and a better way to look at this. We have to think of it in this way or that way. It's differently, not the way you've always thought about it. It's It's... That person or those people, it says in verse 19, it is these who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. There will be mockers, not outside the church now, we're talking within the church even, in the midst of the church, calling the teaching of the church outdated, unnecessary, a remnant of a bygone era. They will promote following one's passion rather than God's instruction, following the the way in which people just think and feel rather than what God has given to us. It is these who cause division. Ligon Duncan, when he was preaching on this passage, said something I took note of. But notice especially what he says about them. These are the ones who cause divisions. He says, I want to zero in on that because in every generation it seems that those who are seeking to be faithful to the word of God, to hold fast to the historic biblical Christian doctrines which have been handed down to us by Jesus and the Apostles those very people have been accused of being divisive by those who want to bring the innovations of man-made opinion into the doctrine and life of the church. The people who are bringing the innovations present themselves as winsome, open-minded, seeking to liberate us from the narrow-mindedness of the past, from the meanness and pettiness of the Bible-thumping fundamentalists who want to hold on to the truth of God's word. But it says in the passage, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit, Devoid of the spirit, meaning they're unregenerate. uh, Ultimately, spiritually dead. Unable to think of the things of God. Remember what Stone said in the church's one foundation. Though with scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, and heresies distressed. While we are to be keenly observant and aware, we are not to stay in a defensive posture. That is not the answer. We are to be taking steps to become stronger in the faith. We are to be built up to grow deeper, more firm. Look at verse 20. But you, but you, beloved, build yourselves up. Build yourselves up. In light of the challenging times and the challenging issues, build yourself up. Get stronger. Seek growth. Firmness stability. But you, beloved, verse 20, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. See, now we're, we're understanding how we are to build ourselves up. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You could take the last part of verse 21 in a, in a more dynamic translation and say, as you're waiting for the mercy of the Lord... Build yourselves up, pray, keep yourself in the love of God. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, to understand what this means, we need to remember the context of Jude in verse 3, that famous passage of Jude that talks about the faith. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I believe that's in the passage before us, it's drawing back to that idea of the faith. Not referring to the thing we exercise in the verb form, but the faith itself. Christ. What is the faith? Jesus Christ. Once delivered, we have it in the scriptures. To the saints, the church. Be built up in this, our most holy faith. The Christian faith. The Christian faith is Christ. The good news about resting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This is the Christian faith. The gospel faith. For sinners to be right with God, they must rest upon Jesus and his finished work. That's the essence of the Christian faith. That's the teaching of the Christian faith. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith, in the Christian faith. And then what flows from this is a developing of the command to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love. Do these things while expecting Christ's return. First, pray in the Holy Spirit. We offer to the Lord those things that we desire, but we want them checked with God's will. We hope to offer things to God that are agreeable with His will. In Ephesians chapter 6, With regard to praying in the Spirit, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. As we have the Word of God reveal God to us, and it bids us to pray, we pray according to it. And we continually do so in a never-ceasing way. And as we pray, our prayers actually become more conformed to his will as we are in connect with his word. Many years ago now, when Cabela's first opened up in the Northland, before there was all sorts of other hunting stores, and really before Amazon allowed you to buy everything right from your couch, I used to take my sons, who were just infants at that time, because it was my day to watch the kids, and I didn't know what else to do but to go look at hunting stuff. So I went up to Cabela's with the boys, put them in a cart, and when I first got there, they saw the stuff and wanted everything. We would go up to where the restaurant was and they'd see everything and they want this and they want that. And I'm not going to give them all that. So what I did as a regular thing on my Wednesdays, which were my days off, I would get them a donut and milk like any good father would, a really healthy combo. After a while, they quit bugging me when they got there. They liked looking at the stuffed animals and everything was there. They knew they were going to get a donut and some milk. They asked for it maybe a different, a different donut. The point is they came to understand what they were going to get from their dad. It was good with them. They were looking forward to it. It was kind of the capstone of the night together. And then we go back home. There is a sense in which as we pray according to the word, as we study the word, as we are built up and we pray in the spirit according to the word, then our prayers become more in line with God's will because we know what our father would want And that's why prayer is part of how you grow. It's actually how God molds our will to be in line with his and accepting of his will. Because we know our Father will give us what is best for us. And we learn to trust that more and more. And we pray all the same. We pray. But now our trust and the content of our prayer. It's spirit-led now in this sense. Pray in the Holy Spirit. This will help you be built up in the faith. In Romans chapter 8, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So if you're worried even about what I just said in the challenge of praying right, don't worry any longer. Pray. Because when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to us, which grants us access to the throne of grace. The Spirit assists us, prompts us, stirs us to pray for things pleasing to God's will. The Spirit convicts us when we seek to pray for things not agreeable to God's will. The Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. Being built up. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Abide in him. Keep fellowship with him. Live in unbroken fellowship. This, first and foremost, is constant and regular access to the gospel of God's grace in Christ. That's how we abide in his love, first and foremost, is to recognize what his love, how his love has been manifested in Christ for us, our substitute. It also has to do with that practice with one another, that we show our love for him by showing our love for each other we abide in god's love we keep ourselves in god's love in this way many years now i've gone uh, to the desert in february when it's freezing here to go to there's a firearms training school that i go to that i enjoy with some of the brothers here it's a weird climate because it's dry it's freezing here so I go there, and the sun is out, and it's super warm. But if you get anywhere in the shade, it's cold immediately. It's either hot or cold. It's difficult. But in the middle of the day, when all things are equal, you're always looking for the little bright spots out in the desert to get yourself so it's a little warmer. You don't notice how cold it is when you're standing in that warmth. It feels comfortable. So you're looking, and the sun shifts. The clouds move, so there you move around. You're always looking to find that light spot because that's where it'll be warm. Keep yourself in the love of God. It's like consistently recognizing the stuff that clouds our life and finding those bright spots to be in. And the bright spot's going to be where you're receiving the means of God's grace, where his message, his word is coming clearly to you. That's where you'll be warm. That's abiding in God's love. When you're in darkness, when you're away from those means that God has ordained, Then you will not experience, you'll grow cold. Build yourself up. This is what Jude is saying. Keep yourself in the love of God. You know, as reformed churches, we find ourselves as the beneficiaries, truly the beneficiaries of powerful biblical and doctrinal teaching that helps us every day. It could not be more practical. We don't have to wonder about how to be built up in Christ. In our tradition, we call the tools for spiritual strengthening the means of his grace. No tradition has done a better job at quantifying this for us. David Powellson, who just recently went to be with the Lord, a professor at Westminster Seminary for many years, he said, "Avail yourself of the means of grace. And this is speaking to building yourself up, to be built up in these challenging times. He says, "Avail yourself of the means of grace. Sit under good preaching participate in corporate worship and the sacraments, and maintain daily scripture and reading and prayer. To flourish, you need truth that is in Jesus, the truth that is in Jesus to fill your heart. The expression the means of grace refers to the instruments or the tools which God has established to do his work of grace in his people. You could see why it's so important that churches, the church, stay committed to the means of grace in challenging times. Because it's the God-ordained way for us to remain built up. To be able to look out and know when something isn't right. And to be built up by these tools that grow our faith deeper. You know, we're called KC ARC. That was as clever as a bunch of reform guys can come up with. KC ARC. The Kansas City Alliance of Reformed Churches. Maybe we should be KCOMG. Don't worry. The Kansas City Alliance of Ordinary Means, Means of Grace. That's what it means. Because that's what we're about. That's what your pastors are committed to. That's why we fellowship with one another. We believe in the ordinary means of grace. And we know ordinary, it means the way that, the simple ways God has devised for us to grow and be built up. But they're not ordinary. Supernatural is what they are. They may seem simple. They may seem plain. But God gives us growth in him through these means. The word being primary. And then prayer, that we know we have access to the Father because of what the Word declares about who we are in Christ. Then he gives us the sacraments as these tokens and pledges, these, uh, these things that help us before heaven understand the reality of what has been accomplished for us. Verse 20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Eventually, he'll relieve us of this. You'll go to be with him in that mercy, or he'll come. Once again, our tradition is so helpful in this regard. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, the 14th chapter, the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, By which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. On a regular basis in our worship service, we have as a response uh, the question from the Shorter Catechism 88. What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? All I mean to say is, how should we be built up and prepared and able to live in these challenging times? Well, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word Sacraments and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Lewis Burkhoff commenting on the means of grace. As objective channels which Christ has instituted in the church, and to which he ordinarily binds himself in the communication of his grace, of course, these may never be disassociated from Christ, nor from the powerful operation of the Holy Spirit, nor from the church, which is the appointed organ for the distribution of the blessings of divine grace. So much proper emphasis on the means that god has given us to be built up look out don't be naive recognize false teaching when it comes and be built up they work together and be built up by the tools god has ordained the means of his grace all the while waiting for the mercy of the lord to come finally from the time christ ascended the people of god have been looking forward to his return We don't stand staring up, though, in a paralyzed state. We go about our life longing for the return of Christ, seeking after him, and his mercy will come. It'll come when we need it, and all things will be set right. Look up, build up, and finally, verse 22 and verse 23, reach out. We'll need to reach out. Challenging times will cause heartache, will cause carnage among people, even in the church. Uh, No one is free from a degraded culture. Everybody suffers in such in some ways. It will challenge believers. True believers will be challenged by these kinds of times. Many casualties from the cultural impacts, even on people in the church. Yes, people in the world will be damaged by the prevailing godlessness that promotes self-destruction, even though they don't think of it that way. And we have to be there for them with the gospel. The church needs to be faithful for the lost, always, because among the lost are God's people who, as he appoints and as the gospels preach, will come. But also, I believe the admonitions of verse 22 and 23 are speaking about reaching out to those who will be wavering, Christians who will be wavering because of the challenging times. Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. You'll see three different categories, basically. Those, have mercy on those who doubt. They're doubters. They're struggling. You know, their friends say one thing, the culture says this, it seems popular to do this, you guys are kind of dinosaurs here, I'm wondering, I don't know. Have mercy, be patient, there's lots of pressure. Be patient in explaining and helping. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. It seems these have gone along with it. Maybe they're the duped, as one commentator said. The doubters and now the duped. This is another level. They're not just in the church doubting, maybe they're, they're... flirting with whatever's out there and it's drawing them away from Christ and away from his people save others by snatching them out of the fire that means they're snatchable that means they can be retrieved some who are being swallowed by sin snatch them out if you can go after them like Jesus goes out after the sheep then there's another category that we have to be aware of to others show mercy with fear even the garments stained by flesh there will be some who get so wrapped into sin so heavily that it might be difficult to pull them out. Be careful, but we have to be merciful and to try. Be cognizant of how serious the sin is and how we could easily get drawn into it. It's like saving someone who's in a fire. You may get burned a bit. You have to be careful. And the actual picture is very graphic, as you can imagine. Show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, this is most likely an allusion to lepers who would have clothes on in contact with all their wounds, in the disease they had, and it would leave stains and residue on their garments. So you want to help the person, but you've got to burn the clothes. To help heal them, you've got to get rid of the clothes. Be careful because even the garments stained by the flesh should repulse. So show mercy with fear for those who are sucked into it. Try to help, but recognize how precarious it is. One commentator said, while it is the duty of the Christian to pity and pray for the sinner, we must view with loathing all that bears the trace traces of sins, because we're all susceptible, every one of us. We live in a day in which much of what is what call, calls itself the church is just Doctrinally and theologically anemic and they're not aware and not ready for We will have people who will come to us who have received mixed messages be patient be merciful be loving to them We will have people go out from our midst spurning god We have to go after them and try to snatch them from the fire We will have people who have been gone Don't give up on them reach out to them with carefulness Brothers and sisters, we are living in challenging times for sure. We are living in challenging times just like the vast majority of Christians over the course of history. Our particular challenges may be just a little different than others, but they're challenges nevertheless, and they're real. Becoming reoriented about certain outcomes will help us in all of this. Verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That stance, that posture of waiting and knowing this life is super quick, super swift. You'll go to be with him before you know it, or he'll come back. None of it takes that long, and God will show us his mercy in his time, and he bids us to be steadfast, and he gives us the means to be built up so that we can be steadfast. Stone, once again, who wrote The Church is One Foundation, the last two verses. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distress. Yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Now the last verse. The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her, And false sons in her pale, against or foe or traitor, she ever will prevail. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, you are our refuge and strength. You are our very present help in challenging times. We depend on your mercy and your grace to be built up, to be strengthened, to be unwavering and faithful. We are completely dependent upon you for this. We depend on you for the faith that is necessary to lay hold of Christ and for this faith to persevere to the end. Grant your encouraging blessing to your people here gathered because of your word entrusted to our hearts by your spirit. I pray this in Christ. Amen.